Good afternoon and welcome to the Community Health Focus Hour brought to you by the Urban Health Initiative of the University of Chicago Medicine. My name is Dr. Dorian Miller. I'm the director of the Center for Community Health and Vitality and I'm going to be your host this week for what I hope will be a very important and interactive hour. We would like for you to give us a call because this is a live show, so please give us a call at 773-591-1690. That's WVON-AM, the talk of Chicago. Today's topic for discussion is maintaining your mental health amidst societal chaos. And before I start into my formal comments um, around the reason why we're gathered here today, I wanted to just make note of two passings that we have had within the past 24 hours. Representative John Lewis, who was a congressman um, in the U.S. Congress and also an icon and real, really a lion of the civil rights movement, uh, passed away, as well as Reverend C.T. Vivian, who uh, may not be as well-known a figure in the civil rights music movement, rather, but actually had a presence in the Chicago area for a number of years and was a close friend and confident, confidant of the Reverend Martin Luther King. Uh, these are passages for those of us who remember their activities within the civil rights movement. You may remember Bloody Sunday, reading about this and hearing about this, and what took place in Selma, Alabama, and uh, Representative John Lewis as a 23-year-old college student, um, not only putting his uh, life on the line, but also left his blood on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. Both, as I said, losses to our society, but also in many ways, so many of us stand on their shoulders and what we have been able to accomplish in our lifetimes. They too have seen issues around societal chaos and maintaining mental health and staying strong at a time in which the world was falling apart around them. And so, um, again, I wanted to put that acknowledgement out there before we start with the, the bulk of our show. The world really seems to be spinning out of control these days and maintaining our mental health in a society that's been embroiled by chaos for many of us is a big challenge. African Americans, since the legacy of slavery, have faced systemic inequality, structural inequalities and systemic racism. But somehow it really all became clear, and having this to take place in the year of 2020, when people think about having clarity in vision by saying if somebody's got 2020 vision, they're able to see perfectly, that for not just African Americans, but also for other members of our society that are allies, that they can see what's happening. And this has really morphed into tremendous civil unrest that we've witnessed, um, certainly here in Chicago, but also a across the country. We've also had an upswing in community violence, which sadly takes place many times during the summer here in Chicago. And then this is with occurring on the backdrop of a global pandemic with the coronavirus or COVID-19 COVID infection. And so one of the things that we've seen is that it has really unmasked long-time health disparities, and they have indexed both black and brown communities. And so, again, um, I sometimes think of this as having had the COVID-19 pandemic to hit us as a hurricane, and then the civil unrest that has followed with the killing of George Floyd and other issues around community violence um, really being something that feels like a tsunami. 
So let me share with you some sobering facts around uh, COVID-19 health disparities, just in order to set the stage for our, our conversation today. And then I will introduce our guests who are uh, socially engaged, but physically distancing from me today. I'm in the studio and I have them on the phone. Nationally, African-American deaths from COVID-19 are nearly twice the number expected based on our share of the population. And in four states, the numbers are three times or more greater given our percentage of the population. In 42 states, plus the District of Columbia, Hispanics, Latinos, and Latinx population makes up a greater share of confirmed cases than their share of the population. And in eight states, it is more than four times greater than their share of the population. White deaths from COVID-19 are lower than their share of the population than 37 states and the District of Columbia. And against this COVID-19 pandemic, we have everything else that's coming in to the African-American and Latinx communities. Today, I have excellent guests. We've got practicing clinicians and also a mental health advocate who will be joining us to talk about these facts, but also more importantly, how can we survive And also in thinking about the people, particularly the deaths of uh, Representative Lewis and Reverend C.T. Vivian, the people for whom we stand on their shoulders, how can we help our young people not just to survive, but figure out ways to thrive in the midst of all of the societal chaos? And so what I'd like to do uh, now is to introduce the guests that I have on the phone with me today, Dr. Sonia Dinazulu. She is an assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral neuroscience at the University of Chicago Medicine. Hi, Dr. Dina Zulu. How are you? Hi. Good afternoon, Dr. Miller. I'm well. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I also have on the line Dr. Don Elgin, who is a clinical psychologist who does a lot of work in the African-American community and particularly with African-American youth. How are you doing, Dr. Elgin? I'm doing great. How are you, Dr. Miller? Doing great. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. And then finally, I have Christopher Malark, who, Lamarck, rather, who is a mental health advocate and founder of Coffee, Hip Hop, and Mental Health, who's going to talk a little bit about himself and his background in the discussion that we're having today on surviving and staying strong in the midst of societal chaos. So nice to have you on the line, Mr. Lamarck. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Thank you. So one of the things that I think is very important, and just in terms of doing a little bit of level setting with our listeners today, is to perhaps start out on the positive, which is what exactly is mental health and what are some of the components of building a healthy personality? And so I'm going to start off with you first, Dr. Elgin, and then after that follow with Dr. Dinazulu. So Dr. Elgin, what do you consider to be good, strong mental health? consider, well, you know, when we talk about mental health, first, we want to know what are we talking about when we speak about psychology. So we're thinking about how people think, how people feel, and how people behave. So good mental health is having positive, healthy thoughts, positive, healthy feelings, and positive, authentic behaviors, and trying to have them all be, you know, kind of harmonious with one another. So our thinking, our feeling, and our behaviors are consistent. Thanks, Dr. Elligan. Dr. Denizula, what are your thoughts on this? Yes, I want to add to what Dr. Elligan had mentioned. It's, you know, mental health, I want to also broaden the concept of it not just being positive, but it, it encompasses a range of emotions that people can experience. Because sometimes people may think that you have to always be happy and positive to have good mental health. The reality is we are humans. We can experience anger, fear, anxiety, disappointment, 
the goal is that to make sure that we're able to cope with those emotions in a way that doesn't interfere with daily functioning. So a person who's able to have mental health or good well-being is someone, again, to Dr. Elegant's point, being able to have, you know, thoughts that are helpful to help them navigate daily experiences, social well-being, emotional well-being, behavioral well-being. And this allows a person to use these strategies to cope with the normal stressors of life and to try to be productive and be able to contribute within their own society or community, however that's defined for that individual. But to keep in mind that it's okay to have a range of different emotions. It's just that you have to be able to manage them in the way so that it doesn't interfere with daily functioning. You know, I think one of the things that both of you are referring to is the issue of resilience, and that is being Mm -hmm. able to respond to sometimes many of the negative things that exist that occur to us in our society. And goodness knows that in the experience that we've had in the United States, but also around the world over the past six months, that there are things that have really impacted our abilities to be resilient. Do you see some of these things Things breaking down as you talk to patients, members of your community, members of your family. What's what's happening? What are people thinking about, Dr. Dinazulu? So I think the resilience. I think I think you know people are not broken. I don't want to think about it in that way. So I think what people are grappling with is just this uncertainty, and I think this fear of the unknown, um, which is a normal fear to have. And not knowing of how things are going to lay out in the future is very unsettling for people. So I think, you know, people, you know, I don't know if resilience is necessarily breaking down more so people adjusting to a normal reaction to a really unfortunate circumstance. People somehow, some way make it to work despite the circumstances. People somehow, some way still try to live day to day. So I think the resilience is there. I think right now people are just trying to navigate and figure out what type of internal resources and other resources that are outside within themselves to help them manage during, you know, again, dealing with racial trauma and COVID-19 at the same time. I think the stigma around asking for help within the Black community is also present. So sometimes people may think that they don't want to ask or they should not be asking for help or they don't want to admit to some of the stressors that they may be experiencing with COVID-19. And on the other hand, there are people specifically talking about, you know, racial trauma as it relates to, again, the events of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. You know, a lot of people, some of the people I'm also working with are coming forth with just talking about how traumatized they've been with experiencing that type of situation. So I, you know, and, and then we have the the protests that are going on. So I think there's there's a lot of energy and synergy going on, but at the same time, I think people are still trying to figure out for themselves again a sense of mixed emotions of how to deal with you know these multiple stressors that are happening at the same time. So in some ways, the hurricane followed by the tsunami. Dr. Elgin, your reflections on that question? So I think within our community, you know, resilience has been somewhat evolutionary from slavery, and there have been messages passed down from generation to generation to generation on how to navigate and manage in a society that has always posed challenges for us. And I think that that continues right now. And, you know, a a good example is um, the messages that parents oftentimes share with their children about how to navigate interactions with the police. That's that's been going on for many, many years, and that continues. So 
all of those lessons have contributed to the resilience that we have now. And with that in mind, I think it's important that as a community, we continue to reach out to our elders, uh, parents, family, clergy, all of these people within the community who have been the bedrock of support and continue to take advantage of those support systems. I think that that comment is so on point, Dr. Elegant, particularly at this time, because we know that for many of our elders, we know that they have learned how to survive. I know I've uh, had these conversations Mm -hmm. with my mother's best friend who uh, turned 90 years old this year and was born in the South and has seen many, many things in her lifetime just to get a sense of of how she is coping at this time and what it takes to do so. And and Dr. Miller, just to follow up on that. So, you know, you asked asked, uh, what are some of the things that we hear in practice? And one of the commentaries I oftentimes hear in practice is, I don't really want to put the burden of sharing my pain, my difficulties on my mother, on my grandparent, on my aunt, because they're already struggling. They're already overwhelmed. And I think the point that you just made is they've been there, they've seen it, and there's not much that we can share with them that really is going to overwhelm them. That for most of these people that have gone through a lot of these things, the uncertainty of not knowing how their children or how their younger family members or how younger people in the community are dealing with it is actually more troubling for them than sharing the reality of what you're struggling with. Extremely important point, Dr. Elegant, and we're going to come back to some of this because we've just come up on our first break. You're listening to the Community Health Focus Hour brought to you by the Urban Health Initiative of the University of Chicago Medicine. We're interested in your comments and questions for our guests, so please give us a call at 773-591-1690. That's WVON-AM, the talk of Chicago. segment of the Community Health Focus Hour brought to you by the Urban Health Initiative of the University of Chicago Medicine. I'm Dr. Dorian Miller, your doctor on call today and your host. And I have some great guests that are calling in and we're discussing the issue of maintaining mental health in the midst of societal chaos. Again, please give us a call at 773-591-1690. That's WVON-AM, the talk of Chicago. I'd like to bring in Christopher Lamarck now and to have him to talk a little bit about his work as a mental health advocate and also the founder of Coffee, Hip Hop, and Mental Health. So I was wondering, Mr. Lamarck, could you speak a little bit to your personal experience and why you founded this organization and also why is it so important and relevant today? Sure. Uh, Thank you. So it all started out of a necessity for me to get help because as a child, I grew up uh, displaced and detached from my parents. I had no idea who my mom was growing up. I had no relationship with her or my father. I had no knowledge. And so I grew up in foster care. And even though I was with my uh, family, it was a very complicated childhood. And I say complicated because I know of so many layers to abuse and neglect and rejection. And so uh, spending 12 years in such uh, a complicated and challenging and painful uh, environment, I was shuffled through the Audi home and and, uh, group homes. and, And I went through several years of homelessness and finally sitting inside of a coffee shop in October of 2018, right in the heart of downtown here in Chicago 
sitting inside of a Starbucks, everything that was going on present mixed with all of the unresolved childhood trauma just came to a head and I suffered what is considered to be a mental and emotional breakdown, but I also call it a mental and emotional breakthrough because in that moment, I decided to take myself to therapy so I can deal with all of the unresolved trauma. Now, as an artist, as a hip-hop artist, uh, I spent a lot of years, 20 years to be exact, on stage hiding my internal suffering, my internal struggle. I learned how to passionately and confidently perform, not only on stage, but in life. I hid the suicidal thoughts, the suicidal tendencies, the suicidal actions. I hid social anxiety, and I just learned how to look okay. But in that coffee shop, I knew I could no longer do that. I started to cry uncontrollably. And once I started to go to therapy, uh, the thing that clicked for me, ma'am, was what my therapist said, Chris, uh, you can forgive yourself because it wasn't your fault that you were abused as a child. And I had been holding all of this grief and all of this pain and all of this guilt. And I wasn't living. I wasn't being present. And so when all of these transformative uh, experiences was happening in therapy, my therapist wasn't projecting his frustrations onto me or his emotions or his biases. I was able to freely sit and talk about my issues, and I was being taught so many different things about what it means to be reactive and non-reactive and what it means to lead back to my better self. And so I said, wow, it would be great if I can take this transformative experience and put it on stage and take it back to my community because I realized that I wasn't the only one in the black and brown community suffering with PTSD and social anxiety and levels of depression and and, uh, suicidal thoughts and tendencies, right? And so that's where coffee, hip-hop, and mental health came from. It came out of a necessity. Something that happened in the coffee shop pushed me to get some help And I wanted to take uh, my relationships and my stage of success, and I wanted to leverage those relationships so we can begin to bridge the gap between the community and the mental health practitioners. And that is the focal point of Coffee, Hip Hop, and Mental Health. You know, hearing someone like you, a young man who's been involved in the hip-hop community, uh, to be this open about your life and your struggles... I think that perhaps other young people need to hear more of this message in order to know that what has happened to them and how they're expressing their pain is something that is a reaction to the very distressing situations that people are in and that it is not Mm -hmm. something that's fundamentally wrong with them. Um, yes. But it's about the, those those experiences. Now, Dr. Elegan, you have some experience in this space as a therapist and actually wrote a book about it. Could you talk a little bit about that for me, please? Uh, sure. I wrote the book, uh, Rap Therapy, uh, Communicating with Youth and Young Adults Through Rap Music, and mm-hmm. um, came out in 2004. And, you know, I think Christopher's story is a very common uh, story within our community, and it kind of ties back to your first question about resilience. Uh, Christopher's a wonderful example of an African American man with an amazing level of resilience to, you know, considering the things that he went through and the challenges that society posed for him, and how he was able to transform those experiences 
for good. And now he's contributing to, you know, trying to make coffee something available to other youth. But Christopher is a great example of the type of clients that I worked with when I was doing rap therapy and this whole concept of resilience that you spoke about earlier. Dr. Dinazulu, you're a psychologist, you're a child psychologist, and you uh, work with clients that have experienced trauma in their lives. Reflect upon some of the comments that Christopher just made and the clients that you see in therapy. Do you see similarities, parallels, things that might have been revealed to you? I know that, that not along the lines of specifics, but certainly in terms of the general themes. Yeah, so the thing about trauma is that it isolates and divides. It makes one think that it's their fault. As Christopher had mentioned, especially if you're a young person where you've experienced some type of chronic trauma or complex trauma such that, you know, within your own family, abuse might have happened, such as neglect and such things. And sometimes, you know, thinking that you're alone in this situation, like he had mentioned before, there are other people who have experienced trauma. And to me, you know, being able to tell your story in the way that Christopher had mentioned through his art is so healing and empowering. So when we clinically do trauma, we do something called a narrative for young people, and that's their story of what happened to them. And we use that story to help educate about what happened to you versus what's wrong with you. People tend mm-hmm. to view trauma as like it's your problem, it's your issue, it's your fault, and they don't ask much about like what what really happened to you. Being able to normalize these experiences for people, again, the reactions that Christopher had talked about are normal reactions to adverse experiences. I mean, nobody can feel positive. No one can feel happy. No one can just, just be their normal selves without experiencing some of the negative effects of trauma. But those are normal, normal reactions. And when we work with families, the first thing I do is, you know, normalize their experiences, validate what they're experiencing, Mm -hmm. trying to establish a sense of safety, not only physical safety, but emotional sense of safety. Sometimes the emotional abuse is worse than the physical abuse for some people. So, you know, so those are the first lines of defense that that we try to provide and that I try to provide. But the biggest message I think people need to walk away um, from is just asking that question of what happened to you. Tell me your story and just being able to let the person tell the story without any type of interruption from the person who's listening, just being able to, to listen and, and to reflect that. You know, mm-hmm. and I'd like to add, if, if possible, because I really like that idea and that concept yeah. of narrative therapy yes. is, you know, after going through those first couple of stages, then it becomes about how would you like to rewrite the future? What mm-hmm. do you want the future to look like? And that's what Christopher did by kind of creating, you know, the coffee, hip hop coffee. That was that next chapter, and that's how you move into the different, uh, next, the, you know, the next stage in a different direction and pivot in your life. And once again, that, that kind of comes back to this resilience. You know, focusing. Add, so, oh, of, of course, no, go ahead, please. First, I I'm listening intently to the both of you, so thank you so much. I cannot do this work without building relationship with psychologists and therapists. So again, I'm listening to you all and learning from you. So thank you. But the one thing I want to add is the thing about resiliency is funny. It's tricky, right? Because we've been so, as black men and black women, we had to be resilient or else we lay down and die, right? And so I believe as commendable resilient is, it also kind of 
creates a distorted mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're always just pushing through, do what we got to do to get by. You know, young people say, I'm just going to do what I got to do and get out the way, right? I don't want no trouble. I'm just going to find a way to survive. And when you think about that word survive, I'm 41. I spent the first 40 years trying to just survive. And, yes, I uh, had the drive and the resiliency, but it created this cripple and distorted mindset because I just sort of floated under the radar. Because when you think about trauma and you think about poverty, which is traumatic in itself, it teaches people to be timid. It takes away your identity. It uh, sort of just puts you in a place of stuck, and you can't see outside of your window of pain. And every day you're just trying to survive, survive, and survive. And so I just want to add, just as much as we are resilient, how do we change that narrative? Well, we have to find a way to tap into the exception because not only did I get to this place because I'm resilient, I got to this place, sir and ma'am, because the exception showed up. And the exception is the help before therapy. It was the different people that came into my life and they spoke something new. And I had to get to a place of uh, being able to receive that. So I just want to make sure I highlight that, that yes, we are resilient. But sometimes being resilient is not enough. We have to find a way to get past survival and find a way to live because living is what makes us free. The surviving I, versus thriving, very important. Dr. Dina Zulu, please. Yeah, I want to add to that. Sorry. So, Christopher, you bring up a really good point because this is something I often think about. You know, when, yeah. we're, we're, when we're under chronic stressful conditions, you know, Dorian has heard me say this before that, you know, my goal in therapy is not to help people adjust to oppression. But mm-hmm. when we think about black people, we've been oppressed since day, you know, not since day one in this country or, or from the coast coming over to the transatlantic to get to the to the uh, other part of the world. And so when we think about how do we keep pushing forward, we have centuries of this being of being socialized to do this. Right. And it does come at a cost. It does come at a cost. And sometimes in order for people, when we talk about repeated trauma, you know, there's a term called continuous traumatic stress. And this is when you really cannot get out of a traumatic situation for, for, for a long period of time, like community violence. People live in entrenched community violence or people who live in war uh, conflict zones, right? It's constant fear and threat all the time. How do people make it through each day? And even though we may not be living somewhere in Syria where something like that is happening, for example, um, you know, that is a, that's, that's a symptom of trauma. Sometimes we have to compartmentalize, and that is adaptive. That is adaptive until you do get the help and understand how that plays a role in your daily functioning and try to replace those, those adaptive strategies into strategies that are less costly on our health. So um, I'm so glad that you got the help that you needed. Um, and that you're able to share that experience. Like Dr. Miller had said earlier, people are listening. They need to hear your story. You know, it, it's not only, it's not enough for therapists to be on this talk show. We need to have people who have this lived experience as well to share that. So thank you for that. You're welcome, man. Thank you. 
You know, one of the things that, that you just referenced in your comments a moment ago, Dr. Dinizulu, is the issue of complex stress that is perhaps low grade that people have adjusted to in some way or another, but then having the repeated trauma that they may have had experience within their own communities. And I'm thinking about the broadcast that people are seeing on an ongoing basis around the deaths that we have just mentioned. And I only mentioned the name of one person in my comments. And in terms of George Floyd, but um, whether it be Ahmed Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, others uh, that have experienced these traumatic deaths at the hands of uh, police, um, and seeing this over and over again oftentimes can trigger stress reactions for people in the community. We've got about a minute left before we have to go to the break, and I'll come back to this, but I'm just wondering, um, uh, Dr. Elegant, if you have any comments around this and how that can uh, impact people's ability to deal with the day-to-day. Uh, Well, I think it's important to limit how much exposure we have to the news. Uh, We also live in this 24-hour news cycle, and it's it's easy to become overwhelmed because every day there's a new traumatic experience uh, coming out from COVID to civil unrest to unthinkable things by our leadership. So I think it's really important to limit uh, how much time we expose ourselves to the news and engage in social, uh, I mean, um, healthy coping strategies, spending time with friends, exercising, good diet, thinking about, you know, how we can develop purpose and meaning during this time that we're going through right now. And I think that that's a good note to end on for this segment, and we're going to pick up on that and some of the, the skills that we can incorporate um, in order to not only to build resilience around survival but actually thriving right after the break. You're listening to the Community Health Focus Hour brought to you by the Urban Health Initiative of University of Chicago Medicine. Please give us a call at 773-591-1690. That's WVON-AM, the talk of Chicago. final segment of the Community Health Focus Hour brought to you by the Urban Health Initiative of the University of Chicago Medicine. I'm Dr. Dorian Miller, your doctor on call this week, and I've been having a wonderful conversation with our guests today, uh, Dr. Sonia Dinizulu, Dr. Don Elligan, and Mr. Christopher Lamarck. Um, we, before we went to the break, we were starting a conversation about uh, developing strategies and keys for survival, and, and not just surviving, but thriving. And Dr. Elligan was starting to introduce us into that part of the segment. And so, Dr. Elegant, I'd like to pick up with you for a little bit, and then after that, uh, move on to uh, Christopher Lamarck about some of the work uh, through uh, coffee, hip-hop, and mental health, and thinking about ways in which we can support ourselves, support our families, and support our society in terms of striving towards mental, better mental health, particularly in this time of societal chaos. Dr. Elegant. Uh, so once again, I think during these difficult times, it's important to limit how much news we expose ourselves to, stay connected with family and friends, try to get some cardiovascular exercise. You know, research has shown that regular exercise does a great job with lowering stress levels and um, improving concentration, attention, focus. Uh, trying to focus on the positive, you know, such as in my family, as a result of COVID and shelter in place, we've been having family dinner more often than we ever mm-hmm. did and having family conversations. So, you know, that's just one positive aspect as a result of, you know, these difficult times that we're going through. 
uh, engaging in hobbies, healthy diet, uh, as I mentioned, having some purpose, and trying to have gratitude for these positive things that are happening during these difficult times, you know, and for every family and for every individual, it's a different thing. Uh, so those are just, you know, a couple of points I think that can help people navigate and manage through these difficult times. Yeah. So uh, our first year, uh, and we are weeks into our second year, we did a lot of talking. Uh, because our goal is to normalize therapy, normalize the conversation. We wanted to create safe spaces uh, so men and women and children could um, just have that space to share what was happening, right? Because when you think about school, work, church, or maybe the, the, the dynamic at home, you are probably being talked to or talked at and not having the space to really share openly uh, how you really feel. So a lot of people are walking around holding the weight of the pain, holding the weight of the frustration. You know, your body keeps score, right? So if you're not dealing with this stuff, you're not venting, you're holding it. And so just look at how people walk and how people just sort of explode, right? You are either imploding or exploding because you don't have a way to properly release or to be vulnerable. And so because of that, we wanted to create a safe space. And so we went into coffee shops. We went into uh, barbershops, hair salons. We went into concert venues, and we said, hey, this is a safe space. Let's have some music. Uh, let's have time so you can be acclimated, and then, and then let's have a 90-minute interactive conversation with therapists, life coaches, personalities, and artists. And what we found is that people just wanted to talk. They needed to talk. And so another part of our organization is what we do is we mine for therapists. And so we're sort of the bridge, right? And so we say, hey, go onto our website, sign up, let us know if you have insurance or not, and we'll find you a therapist, but we prepare them. We give them a list of questions to ask, and we let them know, hey, look, therapy is a relationship. So be good to yourself. Be patient with yourself, because this is going to be a process, because it's not going to be easy finding a right person to sit down to sort of be vulnerable with, right? And so, but once everything started to happen, we had COVID-19, uh, the shelter in place, and now we can't do these uh, group therapy events. And so, like you all talked about earlier, we had to pivot. And then we had, and I, and I don't like to call it civil unrest, no disrespect. I like to call it uprising because people were tired. You can't have people who were already underemployed, people who already uh, were living in food and medical deserts. You can't have them inside of a house for three months. And then most of these people who wasn't properly employed or gainfully employed, they didn't receive stimulus checks. And so what happened when they're triggered by seeing one of us murder on TV? People are tired, right? And so with the closing of the grocery stores, I don't condone any of the looting. I want to make sure I'm clear on that. But I understand poverty is violent. We can't look at our black brothers and sisters and say, hey, they're, they're violent. They've been irresponsible. No, people have learned how to survive in the harsh conditions and call it home. Poverty, like the poverty rate here in Chicago is 20.6%. That is higher than the national rate of 13.1%. That means on paper there are 550,000 people living <laughs> under the poverty line, right? 
And so what we did, we said, hey, let's feed people because food, poor food hygiene and uh, food insecurity is poor mental health. We can't even begin to normalize this conversation, normalize therapy without finding out why people are in crisis. So I'll close with this. So on June 13th, we fed 100 families. On July 5th, we partnered with Mariano's and we fed 1,000 families. And so now we're partnering with so many community uh, groups and organizations, and, and, and again with Mariano's, and we're getting ready to feed 10,000 families because we understand that food insecurity is a problem. And before we get people comfortable to talk about their stuff, we have to meet them where they are and find out why they are in crisis so we can help them thrive. But we got to get them past survival. Meeting basic needs oftentimes provides the opportunity to say, yes, I care about your physical, mental, economic, social well-being, and let's try to find ways in order to meet those basic needs in order to introduce that idea. Very, very important. Dr. Dinazulu, responses or, or observations about uh, what Mr. Lamarck just shared with us? Yeah, thank you, Um so I, I, I appreciate, Christopher, you bringing in the, the structural factors that complicate um, other stressors, health stressors, whether it's physical, medical health, and mental health stressors. So food insecurity, housing insecurity, employment insecurity, these are real things that complicate the conditions that we're already experiencing, right? So we have to consider all of these aspects that contribute to health and particularly mental health as well. And I think that, you know, in terms of also coping with, you know, the, the uprising, thank you for correcting us on that, because I've been saying social unrest, but it is an uprising. Um, mm-hmm. Again, a natural, a natural way to respond to adverse conditions. Um, and it's more resilient to say uprising versus unrest anyways. So thank you for that. But I think also, you know, to that point, you know, we have to continue to advocate for ourselves and we have to vote. Like mm-hmm. this, this COVID-19 affecting black people and brown people more than any other demographic racially. It, this is not, this is not, this is not surprising. It's disturbing. It's not surprising though. And it's because of the structural factors that have been placed in place for hundreds of years that led to, mm-hmm. you know, again, poor schooling, poor housing, poor poverty, you know, lack of economic opportunity. So we have to, in order to, to cope with, you know, mental health wise, not only to think about our internal resources and trying to heal ourselves from this, but we also have to take action beyond ourselves. Otherwise, we're going to continue to oppress, to uh, uh, continue to adjust to oppression. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's part of the therapy that I like to offer to families. What room do we have uh, for advocacy within therapy? Right. So I think Mm -hmm. the work that you're doing, Christopher, it, it kind of comes out of your experiences of trauma and even though it's something, it sounds like it's, you're very passionate about it. It sounds like you love it very, very much. And I can hear that. Um, yes, but it's ma'am. also, it's advocacy work. You're doing something. You know, you're advocating for those who are in need as well. So I, I like how you're able to use both of, of your past experiences to help others in, in current day. And the last thing I want to bring up, too, is just like having hope, like having hope and compassion. But hope, we already know, like hopelessness is a very strong predictor for anxiety and depression, right? So the opposite of that is having hope. And hope is leads to having future orientation. It's such a strong predictor predictor for so many good outcomes. 
and, and instilling hope in people, even though it's uncertain, even though we've been here before, as my grandparents say, this is not new to us to have a white race, you know, to have a racist in the White House. This is, this, we've been here before. And I'm like, I haven't, but they're like, no, we've been here before. Let me fool you. So, um, so I was definitely schooled again. But anyways, I think it's important, you know, our, our, you know, black people have been dealing with this for centuries. And so the hope, you know, having the hope and instilling hope and, and, and you know, again, it comes at a cost. But we still can't give loose sight of hope. We need to have it. You know, Dr. Denizulu, uh, appreciate those comments. And unfortunately, we are coming up on to the end of our show. And I wanted to make sure that I give the three of you the opportunity to make any closing statements in about 30 seconds to our listening audience about this, if, it, if it's either programmatic, messages of hope, whatever you would like to share. And so I'm going to start with you, Dr. Elegan. What would you like to share to our list, with our listeners today? I thought that uh, Dr. Danazula's closing comment at the end about the importance of maintaining hope is probably one of the most important mm-hmm. things, um, that we have to continue to be hopeful. And, you know, we can define that in many different ways in the church. It's called faith. But, you know, hope, like, like she said, reinforces so many positive, healthy uh, attributes. So I think that's a great place to close. Thanks, Dr. Elligan. Christopher Lamarck, closing comments in about 30 seconds. Uh, Well, if anybody's listening, thank you. Please support us as we're feeding and gifting 10,000 families in August. Uh, If you want to uh, donate, all you have to do is text donate.feedshy to 77948. Text donate.feedshy to 77948. We are all in this together. Thank you. Thank you so much. Dr. Dunazulu, anything to add? Yeah, so again, having hope, um, compassion. Again, we must have compassion and be flexible given this this uh, really uncertain time of uncertainty. So um, if things don't work out right, it's okay. Just know that you, we can always try again another time. Just some quick resources. Um, this is an app called Liberate. It's free, and you can it's for iOS and for and for Android phones as well. So it's a, it's a it's an app for uh, meditation, but it's created for Black, Indigenous, and people of color. I love it, love it, love it. It's called Liberate. So I would try that. And then mm-hmm. to seek professional help if need be, please. You don't have to solve this alone. Whether if it's faith based help that you're receiving for for mental care, mental health care. But you can always call 702-3858. That's the Department of Psychiatry if interested in services. So 773-702-3858. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Sonia Dinazulu, Dr. Don Elligan, and also Mr. Christopher Lamarck for their wonderful comments. And I think really messages of both acknowledging the reality of our current situation, but also, I think, bringing in a message of hopefulness and also the gathering of community in these very stressful times. Just in in closing, I'd like to thank our listeners and also our executive producer, Susan Peters, our segment producer, Natalie Watson, our engineer, Mr. Titus Williams, our technical producer, Ms. Latiera Barnett, for streaming us on Facebook Live today, and you, our listeners. Uh, Next week, Carl West will join us, and he'll be focusing his attention on frontline community organizations and their role in improving health. And until I have the opportunity to visit with you again, be well. The Community Health Focus Hour is brought to you by the Urban Health Initiative of the University of Chicago Medicine.